This is Beers on Us with Patrick Harris, a podcast that dives deep into the craft beer scene here in the greater metropolitan Portland area. A podcast that is meant to inform, educate, and have friendly discussion about the thing we love most. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, and all that fun stuff as it helps continue this podcast's success. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into Beers on Us with Patrick Harris. Thank you so much for joining us as we try to drop this every single Thursday at 4 p.m. If you didn't catch last week, we had Brian Cook from Lombard House on talking about anniversaries, state of the industry, a little fresh hop chat and stuff. Make sure you check that out. Brian was great, as he always is. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. The Odyssey app, TennyTheFan.com, Twitcher, Stitcher, Omni, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Mike always does this. I have no idea. Just go download and do do the fun stuff. Today's going to be a fun episode. Uh, I'm very pleased to be joined um, by a stalwart of this industry, uh, an, an old friend of mine, uh, Sean Burke in the house. Uh, your reputation speaks for itself. We'll get into all that kind of stuff. But thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, and uh, fun story, I grabbed a couple beers and I said, Sean, what do you want to drink? And he chose this one. We were going to drink and sip and chat on... Block 15's Blocktoberfest. Yeah. How do you feel about the Meritson Fest beer style? Um, I generally, with um, with Meritson, I tend to find them more malty than I would prefer. Mm-hmm. So I like what a lot of the brewers are doing with more of the Fest beer, where it's getting a little lighter, maybe a little bit more hot pronounced. And so it's, I don't know, it's perfect, perfect beer for this time of year. So yeah, it's one of those things. It's one of those things like, uh, Meritson Fest Vienna, you know, they all live in this kind of exactly. weird, weird bubble. Um, there's something about the Vienna malt, just period, that talks to my soul. Sure, sure. So, however, you use it, I think I, I have said this multiple times. You can make a bad Vienna lager, and I'm like, I'll have that. That's great. Because I just love that crackery, toasty, biscuity totally. malt character to it. Um, but I'm with you, and I was chatting with, uh, I think we were, I was talking with Brian about it last week, that I think one thing that's really cool this year that I've seen better than other years is it's fresh hop season. And it is clearly fest beer season so, right now. I don't know if you've seen that on shows. Oh yeah, hundred percent. No, we we actually made a beer fest beer and it disappeared just instantly. Which for you know multi logger, that's not been the case in a lot of you know it trickles out. But yeah, it's it is it's everywhere on the shelves and apparently people are loving it. So that's a good thing. So. Yeah, it makes me kind of think, and, and I don't know, maybe we'll transition just right right into that into fresh hop season. It, it makes me think that you know a lot of us a lot of us kind of chat and. As as you work in the beer industry for a long time, fresh hop gets a little stale yep. for some people. It becomes kind of an arduous task, totally. and it's not very profitable, and no. it is a lot of work. Whether you're hot side or cold side, it's still a lot of work. But this year, I have seen the demand for fresh hop almost seem to wane a little bit or maybe go go flatline. I think that's a good assessment. I, well, I mean, I think there's... There's a lot of them out there. I think, you know, there's kind of customer fatigue, too. And, I mean, I think you're going to find that with any type of beer. But I think at some point people are like, okay, well, I've had the fresh hot beers and mm-hmm. I've had the good ones. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's yeah, from a brewer's point of view, I, I, I'm the wrong person to ask. Cause <laughs> they severely screw up our schedule because mm-hmm. you never know when they're going to be ready. I don't really love them. Mm-hmm. There are great ones out there, but yeah. just as a general type of beer, it's not. I don't get to this time of year and just oh this is the here best. we go yeah, exactly exactly it's did, not, did you make okay. one this year me too actually so yeah. I did a fresh up Strata IPA okay uh, that was really nice got the uh, the hops off of Goshi Farms and then uh, we did a I think everybody got their Strata yeah, from Goshi yeah, exactly, this year <laughs> exactly and it's it's kind of you know it's it's they're great hops and, mm-hmm. and uh, we've worked with a couple different uh, growers in the past but this year we decided to kind of work with them and then we. We also did a, uh, a version of our landform pills with oh nice with fresh U.S. Tets from there. So, oh okay, so. cool. It's great. It's it's one of those that like I think it's the my favorite of the two. Okay, but it's mostly because it doesn't have a ton of fresh hop character, so it just tastes like a good pilsner. Are you uh, are you a hot side or a cold side guy? So we did we did both on on the different beers. So on the the Strata one, we did that cold side, and then the uh, the pills we did hot side. So. so you you find it based on the style. Is how you're going, as as opposed to process. Yeah, yeah, and it, again, I, like I don't have a lot to go off of that because it's mm-hmm. not really been my wheelhouse mm-hmm. over the years. So I've done all sorts of stuff. I mean, my my former employer, we did we did fresh hot beers in the cool ship, and that was kind of fun because <laughs> it's just a great vessel for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, why not? So, so uh, that was and that was hot side, you know. So basically treating it like a hot back, mm-hmm. but 
but you can get a lot more than you can get in a lot of hotbacks. So, sure. so that was kind of cool. So I don't know. I don't. I don't. There are much. There are people out there way smarter and way more into this than me. So uh, I don't want to waste too much time talking about fresh hop, but it is the season, and this might be the last sure. fresh hop conversation I have on this pod, as we are in almost October. It, it what is there any future? In Fresh Hop, do you think we'll get to a point where there's some new innovation, or is it just tweaking technique and seeing where the market goes? I think it's coming. I, I definitely think it's coming. I, mean, I think there are people doing it. I mean, I think what some of the stuff breaks eyes done with, mm-hmm. with with Fresh Hop beers, and it shows. You know, their their beers really stand out, and and just just you know processes and techniques to mm-hmm. kind of deal with them. I think you're starting to see a lot more into the realm of fresh kilned, mm-hmm. and I think that. Generally, those are the ones that I prefer a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're losing some of that like vegetal, exactly. off the vine kind which, of character, which is really the thing that's not really all that attractive to me. In the first no, place, it, so. it's funny. It, I feel like it's not attractive to any of us, but the general consumer exactly. really likes it. The exactly. first year we did this podcast, Mike, we had uh, ex novo uh, Elliot because yeah, you yeah, know yeah. Ryan used yeah, to totally. always be first, totally, yep. um, which is classic Ryan, uh, <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, he, I remember tasting one and just being like, I get a hint of watermelon, and oh my god, I'm like chewing on marijuana. That's exactly. And and Mike was like, "This is awesome." Yeah, exactly. I was like, "Okay, man, this is not what we like here." <laughs> totally, totally. Combos generally not found in nature. Um, yeah, I think that. Uh, I think that. I think there's a lot of room for it. I think that mm-hmm. that there's a lot of. I mean, I think you've seen just just in the world of pelletizing mm-hmm. of the hops. You know, there's been a lot of uh, progression as far as the way that those those are treated. So I think that. That really, that kind of thinking will eventually trickle down into fresh hop mm-hmm. beers, but but who knows? I mean, it's so much of it has to be d- driven by the consumer. And, sure. And I think to your point earlier, I think you're starting to see it just a little bit of a taper off. Mm-hmm. And also with fest beers really kind of being out at the same time, maybe there's a little bit of competition. Well, know? that logger train keeps That's rising exactly and rising it. and rising. Do you think? Do you? Well, I'll finish up with this. Do you think the advancement and the innovation of cryo YCH, CGX Crosby, that kind of stuff can eventually kind of maybe taper off this idea of fresh off the vine hop. I would love it if it would, but yeah. that's just a personal, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I it's got to be cheaper, right? It I mean, is. And CGX that's, that's and cryo is totally, way cheaper. Totally. Than it absolutely hop. is. And I mean, you know, generally those beers are made a lot of times with those products as well, you know, because mm-hmm. if it's just fresh hop, it's pretty undrinkable at that point. Yeah. So. Well, not 100%, but, you know. I know. I always feel bad for the hot side fresh hop people because by the time their fresh hop IPAs come out, you've, like, got so much fatigue. That's exactly That you're just like, I don't even want to try that. And someone's like, it's the best. And you, like, taste and you're like, yeah, it's good. I'll have the fest beer, please. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> totally, totally. I know. I'll get one or two in me. And then, I, uh, yeah, I had one. I had one at Lombard House, actually. Mm. It was a Von Ebert beer. It was their fresh hop pills. and. It was great. I mean, like, yeah. but again, it was just like subtle handed, and and like it's just a good pilsner. There you <laughs> go. But I'll have something else now. <laughs> uh, Sean Burke joining us here on Beers on Us. I want to like take you back, and we don't have to go too history, like open up the vault sort of thing. But we were chatting on the way into the into the studio that you used to homebrew with Ben and Rick over yeah. at Barrelick. Yeah, absolutely, big friends of our show. Yeah, great. Um, great so deal. as you as you're in that homebrew community. How did how were you able to take the step into being more of a professional brewer? Is Commons your first professional it brewing was. gig? It was, yeah. yeah. How yeah. how do you, as a home brewer, and you've made some friends, and obviously Ben and Rick have been very successful in their endeavor. You as well. Mm-hmm. How do you make that jump from home brewing into professional brewing? Well, I kind of so so to kind of talk about the home brewing side that we did together. We actually had a, a barrel project thing that we would work on. So multiple home brewers would get together and contribute wort and or beer and have a barrel at somebody's house and do mixed culture beer that way just because you know volume wise that was was the best way we could do it but it also built this nice little community for us so so after you know that's and at that point i had been brewing home brewing for years and years and years and kind of all of us were at that level of Mm. and it's kind of why we put that group together because it was like-minded people that uh uh walker from imperial yeast was part of that group as well you know so so really really good group of, of of people um but for me, I tried really hard to get into the industry at that time mm-hmm. in Portland, and it just was, you know, you were basically left with washing kegs and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I was in my early 30s at that point, yeah. and I was just like, <clears throat> I don't know. Like, I'm not above that. I just don't. Right. I feel like I have more to contribute than just that, right? So so I actually went over to also, brewing Also, the pay school. is really rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's all totally <laughs> I mean, pay is really rough in general. But, uh, 
But I went to brewing school instead, okay. so I figured I would just cut in line, and it worked. Yeah. And uh, so one of the guys from that group was at the time working at Cascade, and he, I reached out to him when I was still in Germany and said, hey, I'm coming home in a couple months. Know anybody that's hiring? He said, yeah, get in touch with Mike Wright. He's, he's going to expand what was at the time Bacher Brewing, which was his little nano in his garage. And so the next day, I literally, the next day after landing back in Portland, I went down to what was the original common space and met him and in person. And because we've been talking since then online mm-hmm. and stuff. So, so I cut in line a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I still didn't, I had to kind of teach myself. Like, yeah. I never really went and worked for anybody else except for, I mean, meaning that bringing in, bringing in experience wasn't you know i my experience was so different it's more in the recipe development and that kind of stuff not mm-hmm. in like oh this is safety and sop and and you know you learn some of that in brewing school but it's not the same right you know, it's more theory based okay so. okay i get it like like music like it's, like it's you actually, can learn theory yep, as much yep, as you want but absolutely. if your hands can't do it that's exactly you know right. if your vocal cords can't do it or until you play in a band right you know what i mean you can you can, can sit you there and jam out in your room all you plays want plays well with yeah, others exactly yeah, and that's yeah. and that's kind of how it works <clears> so so how, tell tell me about your time at Commons. I remember the the old spot. God, I miss the old spot. Although the 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 last spot is a really cool spot too. But uh, I remember I had just moved back to Portland. This is probably 2013, maybe early 2014. And I I was with my partner, and she had a work friend uh, who had who had a partner as well. And we went to double date. Nice. They were like, "Oh, your boyfriend loves loves uh, loves beer." And I was like, "Yeah, I love beer." And she was like, "Oh, we live." right by these three breweries and i was like sweet let's go check them out and they took me to commons cascade and groundbreaker yeah yeah. and i at the time only drank ipa (laughs) that's all i drank i didn't know any better i was like this is what i drink or i drink rainier and bush light like this is it this is all i know and i walked into commons and boy was i disappointed (laughs) was i disappointed i looked around and i kind of said i don't want any of this stuff (laughs) this stuff sounds terrible to me but then um Flash forward a few years, I get to, I am very fortunate to be invited to the last night at Commons. And I'm sitting there going, I can't believe I'm never going to have this beer again. (laughs) Tell me about your time at Commons and and what it it taught you to help propel you to the Von Eberts, the Forelands, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's kind of, you know, what I was saying before, really having to sort of, in the beginning, I had to, just me, Mm -hmm. doing most of the brewing and uh, I was employee number one, so... uh, well, in the beginning, it was a lot of construction, mm-hmm. and but it was great because you know I have enough uh, sort of hands-on building woodworking background that I was able to bring that to the table. But really, uh, it taught me a lot about a lot of things. I, you know, that that's a very broad statement, but what I mean by that is not only on the beer front. You know, I, I I felt like good beer wasn't the hard part, and I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I mean that to say that you know I feel like if you have a well enough developed palate, mm-hmm. you can eventually, if you've been doing it long enough, and I know home brewing's a whole other ball game, but if you've been doing it long enough, you kind of get to good beer pretty quickly. Sure, sure. Uh, and so, and it's not to say that there's there's always room for improvement, but it's it's that all the other things. So there's you know customer service, there's brand yeah. building, mm-hmm. there's there's employee, you know, dealing with employees. and I mean, think think about how many breweries are making 50,000 barrels or more that, and the beer's not very good. That's exactly. And think about how many people are making 2,000 barrels yep. and nobody knows about them. That's exactly. Like I tell somebody, hey, have you ever had Alex's beer at Upright? And they're yep. like, who, what, yep, Kazuntite? Exactly. And I'm like, uh, Upright, yeah. it's maybe one of the best breweries on the West Coast. Oh, and they're like, no. nope, never been there. And you're yeah. like, okay, all right. Still the most okay. underrated brewery. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that so much of that, I mean, so much of that has to do with, you know, size can be in your advantage for for quality a lot of mm-hmm. times because you can have lab work, you can have all that kind of stuff, which is great. But, you know, I also feel like just generally having people that care about what's coming out mm-hmm. know what g- good and bad is. And, you know, that's that's a relative term, but, but I mean. Uh, I mean, I always say there's two kinds of beer, good beer and bad beer. That's, that's yeah, exactly. But a lot of that is in the eye of the beholder. You sure. Know? So, um I I think, but generally, there's it's recognized what good beer is. So that being said, a lot of what I kind of took from it was well, I mean, I had a lot of creative freedom, which was really really awesome and hard and, to find sometimes. Yeah, these days. yeah. And I think one thing that I really 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 miss as I'm kind of looking back on it is we were able to be a focused brewery, which mm. which 
I feel something we're really starting to lose in, in you know, kind of modern craft beer. Is, I feel is, like people call it niche, and that has exactly such a negative it. connotation. Yeah, and it's, and I mean, but you travel anywhere in Europe, and it's, you know, you go to Cantillon to get a certain type of beer. Right. right? Like, you go to Pilsner or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, and it's, I mean, I understand that only making one type of beer could, could also have its negativity. And it's a very American thing to you. Well, Yingling's the biggest brewery in America, and they make, what, three beers? Three beers, yeah. It's exactly <laughs> it. You know, I always say, like, what is that? Uh, uh, Trumer Pills, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They make one beer. <laughs> but it's it's not that, you know, we were able to kind of have our lanes, I guess, is, mm-hmm. is the good way of saying it. And, you know, in hindsight, we probably should have branched out sooner, but, you know, mm-hmm. as, as the industry was sort of changing. But we were really on the tail end when you could do that, and I think that became a huge part of the draw from that mm-hmm. place so so that was really it was nice to see that that kind of and really hone your skills because you're you're actually focusing in a couple of areas versus trying to paint this huge broad stroke and then at the end you're just kind of like well i'm pretty good at most of this you know versus i'm a lot better at this little small area so. there might be there might be like uh other factors that play into this business marketing etc cetera, etc cetera. but from a beer standpoint do you think commons would have more success in today's world or was it in its right spot? I don't know. I really don't know. Had I think had we been more willing to attempt other beers, yeah, uh, it's not that we weren't really willing. We just wanted to be good at what we did. Yeah. You know? it's we're always sort of touted as like you're never going to make an IPA. Like none of us said that, right? So we so towards the end, like especially having you know two brewers that were on staff that were really passionate about making IPA, it was like well. Yeah, we should have really just had those guys kind of run with it. You know? mm-hmm. So, so yes, I think that had that been, had that been in ca- the case, had we really kind of adjusted a little bit more, I think it would have been a lot more viable. But, I mean, part of the demise was also just part of the 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 landscape at the time too. Mm-hmm. You know, as it's so <clears throat> as it's changing, mm-hmm. rapidly, Portland was changing rapidly, right. and, and a lot of things. So it's and you know, there's a lot to the buying the building and renovating it mm-hmm. and everything was a big big thing to to bite off and sure. you know it's and it was all on mike and that's that's yeah, tough for him that right? is like, tough that's yeah but so <clears throat> really to kind of get back to finally answering your question i i i think there's just a maturity that happened to me over that time mm-hmm. where where you know i'd never really been a boss or anything like that and, you know i i learned how to do things a lot better than i did you know <laughs> not that it was terrible i just yeah yeah not the, not the, the i learned to be a better leader I there you go and, and I think one of the biggest things too was employing people that were better brewers than I was was always going to make for success. Yeah, and, and I did. I had the luxury of doing that, which was really awesome. So. Uh, Urban Farmhouse or Myrtle? You have to pick one. Oh, Urban Farmhouse. Oh, really? I'm a Myrtle guy. Yeah, that's. A cool I was. Episode. I was like trying to think in my yeah. head. I was like, I don't know. I think you'll go Myrtle. Yeah, I, I mean, that was that was Myrtle was actually my brainchild. So it was it was we got to fresh hop season mm-hmm. and we had just kind of experimented around with kettle souring at that okay. time and so it was really started starting to hit the american market and uh, i was like what if we did a fresh hop kettle sour Nobody, nobody's around here is doing <laughs> anything like that and, and meridian hops had just come out yeah okay with that and it, it just had this real like just like kind of orange juicy character that was super good but I, urban farmhouse is one of those it's an it's an everything beer it's a mm-hmm. swiss army knife of beers you know so it's so so friendly with food that that that's why i love and it's, you know, and it's one of those you can have a fair amount of yeah. and still have a good conversation <laughs> because it's lower in alcohol. Yeah, yeah. You can you can have three 750s at a dinner party and be that's, totally fine. That's exactly. And be totally fine. So so then Commons ends and you get hooked up with uh, with your old with your old boy Sam. Yeah. At Von yeah, Ebert. Yeah. That, how, so without like just saying, you know, how was your time at this place? How was your time at this place? That's the next question I want to ask is what's that relationship like when you have you spend all that did you hire Sam? Yes. Yeah, so you hire Sam and now your guys' careers go different paths but all of a sudden you come back together. Yeah. Exactly. What's it like coming back together with a friend, a coworker, someone that you've grown with? That was it was awesome. I mean, I Sam's probably one of my favorite people in the industry. I, I won't say he's my favorite cuz I that might some people might get you know bummed out by that, but <laughs> but I mean it's just the fact that we he is one of the good guys. He is literally one of the great guys. I mean, and I think that that's part of the thing is is at the core he's just also such a good human being. Mm-hmm. But but we've also grown together, you know, and both of our 
trajectories in the industry have been very uh, aligned, you know, mm-hmm. and we've been, you know, at the same places for a long time. So, so yeah, I, I was actually able to hire Sam at, uh, at Commons. And then when, when that shut down uh, and at the time it was Fatheads when I started working. Okay, there. you were so, at Fatheads. Okay. Yeah, and so I was essentially hired. But this is post Mike. Mike had already left, right? Mike had already left. Yeah. Yep, yep exactly. <clears throat> and so, and really what I was brought in to do was open the Glendivere location. Mm-hmm. And so really to to have it kind of be mixed culture and lager focused, mm-hmm. uh, while the Pearl would be more of the, the hot focus and more production because sure. it's a larger facility. And so, but at the time then that head brewer decided he was wanting to move on. And so literally Sam had just come on board and he was going to work with me out at Glendivere. <laughs> and then they, there was a need for a head brewer yeah. at, the, at the Pearl location. So he and I had to sit down and see, he was like, what do you think? And I said, yeah, you should absolutely <laughs> yeah, let's do this. And, and that's the thing is because if, if you're going to have a scenario where there's two head brewers, you have to have no ego. You have right. to have, you know, and, and if he's the other guy sitting on the, this, the other side of the table, I, you know, I told Tom Cook when, when he was thinking about hiring Sam, I said, you know, he will make your business better, and mm-hmm. it's happened. <laughs> it's a hundred percent happened. Yeah, I remember I was working with Sam. Uh, he was in Milwaukee working right. at Breakside for a little bit, and I—that's where I got to know him. And I'm just like falling in love with this guy. I'm like, wow, this guy's such a cool dude. Yeah. And then I met his wife Olivia, yeah, who was just exactly. fantastic yeah. as well. And Sam comes to me and he's like, I'm leaving. And I was like, you can't leave. <laughs> and he was like, well, I'm going to Von Ebert. And I was like, okay, <laughs> all right, bye, dude. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that. So here you are, Brewery Two, yeah. that you're opening your own, you're opening a spot. Yeah. Then you transition into Foreland. What did you as as you walked into Foreland? Was it? I'm I'm sure you're going to say a little bit of both, but I'm kind of interested in a little more expansion. Is it learn from your mistakes or start fresh? I think it's yeah. It's call me, call me. Yeah, yeah. If you had to lean towards one, did you like? What's your mind frame? Is it like? Don't make the mistakes I made, but I got to go in fresh. Or it's like, let's learn from everything and adapt those into a new way. I think that's mostly <clears> that. But we also started Forland during the beginning of the pandemic. Right. So all the all the rules were off the table at that point. Like everything was different. So nice and, in a good way. Some of it. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have to do events for. For a while, and you don't and, have to go to this random bar yes, on Southeast exactly. Which, on a you know, Tuesday. It's, it's really awesome to talk to you know uh, supporters and, right. and and consumers and stuff, but it's just it's tedious after. Yeah, work, right. You got to make so, beer. Yeah, exactly. And but that also meant that the first offerings we had, there was no draft beer out there. And right. So the first offerings went into cans, and mm-hmm. it's like. I, you know, this is the first time I've brewed on this system. We had the cans yeah. on this podcast. Oh, I listened. Yeah. 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 I felt really terrible. <laughs> no. Oh, you shouldn't. Yeah. It's, that's a good, it's a good honest. I know. System. I was like, oh my God, I love Sean. Yeah. This is rough. Yeah. yeah. But I remember, you know, I remember, you know, Ben might not be very happy if I say it, but I remember when we opened Slabtown, totally. Ben and Will, like those are world-class brewers totally. and those beers we made in the beginning were not awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And now imagine you have to put that in a can. Yeah. That's, I mean. You that's, have to. You have to. There's you can't no just sell it across way. the bar. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's, it's, we've obviously improve because that's mm-hmm. what you do but uh but yeah i mean it's it's not easy to go to take what you have as a reputation and then mm-hmm. put it out there again when you i won't say you know it's it's rough but you know it's not going to be your your finest hour right? yeah and so uh so yeah learning from the past was was good um i have had a lot of experience within the within my time in the industry of building breweries that's that's what each iteration of the commons was building a new brewery, mm-hmm. building Glendivere. One, so this, two, three, yeah, exactly, now you're at four. Exactly. And this was a little different since it was an existing brewery right. before. It was but, the it was the allegory spot. That's right? correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is so, a really cool spot. I love McMinnville. Spot. I love the little city. Um, I mean, I am a I probably wax on about Heater Allen more than any <laughs> lager brewery on this program. <laughs> um I, I really love what Rick and Lisa do down there. Um but I've been fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time in McMinnville because, like, Charlie and David, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I knew those guys at Allegory totally and stuff. Good. And I'm just so in love with this little beer town in the heart of wine country. Because I love wine as well. Oh, My wife and I go down there, and it's like, can we sneak down to McMinnville real quick for a yeah. couple hours? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so please continue. Well, and I think that's, you know, you, you, you hit on something that's really great about it is that there's something for everybody. And I'm, I'm the same boat with you. I, I like wine too. So, uh, but, but yeah, going back to the brewery, uh, it's, it's, I think that, you know, the challenge is really 
lied lay in the fact that it was trying to build it up when you know you the now again the the rules of the game are very different mm-hmm. but then also you know kind of as the world started to open up again the atmosphere is different and that's i mean that's that's something you know towards the future that i've really really noticed is that the atmosphere is different it's mm-hmm. not the same as it was 2 years ago right sure things are going to change but it's drastically different it pushed me out of front of house yeah <clears throat> i mean i would been working for breakside for almost 5 years I was in love with the company. They were really good to me. Yep. I look back fondly, and one day I, without a job, was just like, I'm out of here. Yep. And it was two months after we reopened. That's exactly it. Like, and I had a job the whole time. Totally. They were great to me, and the shift, I'll be honest, the clientele that's, was was really rough. That's what's happened. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you're seeing it across service industry in general. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why you're getting currently bad service because – Barely anybody wants to work in it because mm-hmm. the money isn't that great for being treated like dirt. You know, right. it's like, there's no longevity, no career no, opportunities. No. If you want to move up, you take less money and work more hours. That's exactly yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's all those things. So it's and I mean, you're seeing that in the beer industry big time right now. You know? Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I want to go. I mean, you've been brewing and you know from home brew to brew school to these three spots for over a decade now. Yep. Where are we in the state of the industry? Like we chat a little bit about you know what what the consumer's atmosphere is like. But as far as trends and quality and ingredients, materials, et cetera, all that stuff, where I've been, I asked Brian this, I ask everybody, where is, what is the state of, and let's keep it with us, like yeah, sure. Northwest beer. Sure, sure, sure. Because we're still the Mecca, I yeah, would say, of America. Absolutely. We still have the most consumers. I think right before the pandemic, I think state of Oregon said, Craft beer is the fifth largest commerce yeah. in the state, That's so right. it's like, yeah. it's strong. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, yeah. In your opinion, where are we? Uh, I think. Well, I think we're on the cusp of of a downward cycle. Is yeah. the, best, the, yeah. the most eloquent way I can say sure, that. Sure, sure. <clears throat> uh, it's it's the problem that I I think you know, and and I'd love to be wrong about this because you know this industry has has. Uh, given me a lot of great friends and contacts and, and all that kind of stuff. So I want, you know, success for everybody. But I think post-pandemic, well, again, we're still in the pandemic, but right. po- post sort of height of pandemic, uh, beer in the Pacific Northwest is probably going to be a pretty good consolidation. I think you're going to lose a lot of the, like, middle-tier breweries. Really? I think, and and this is just, you know, it's it's – Purely my personal beliefs. And, but, and when you say middle tier, do you mean middle tier in terms of quality, barrelage, marketing? I think all of the above. Okay. So I think that quality probably doesn't have a lot to do with it anymore, yeah, sadly. That's but, what I think too. But I think it's the people that are very well financially backed are going to ride out the storm mm-hmm. uh, because they can afford to. Right. Um, the people that have the very small mom and pop shop that have really low overhead and they're one of the only few employees and they service their community and or neighborhood are mm-hmm. probably going to be okay for a while longer. Yeah. But the problem is, is that everything has gone up in the industry price wise. And so and the price of malt at just the price of Vireman malt yep. is up three cents a pound. Every single thing. And, and, and the North American uh, uh, barley crop was, heavily hit by weather yeah. the 2021 crop was and so but i mean even down to propane is more expensive co2 yeah. there's a shortage or it's going gas up, in you know, your van totally gasoline in the vehicles yeah and so every single thing and at some point winter you know so in trickle down economics that means that the price of beer goes up right 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 so at what point do people go okay I can just get a cocktail. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, that's right. that's what I was going to – I was just about to mention. Like, I remember we were – this is years ago. We were like, oh, man, the $5 pine is dead. Yep. Bro, the $6 pine is dead. Absolutely. The $7 pine is getting close it to being is. dead. It is. So at, at $12, is that the limit? You know, and, and I think that that's the thing is that eventually the consumer will say, enough. You know, yeah. we, we can't do this anymore. And so, so I think that the people that are – heavily leveraged mm-hmm. in over their heads are going to be the first to lose. But I also think on the supplier front, like I don't, I hate to paint all this doom and gloom, but sure. on the supplier front, you know, a lot of them are going to shut down because their, their costs have all gone up too. And so, Yeah. I wonder if people, do you think 
Do you think breweries will advert to cutting corners? Do you think quality could go down before we see yes. the the amount of breweries go down? Kind of do. like how the big boys, like when you get bigger and bigger and bigger. Absolutely. You know, I use 10 Barrel as an example. I don't love to call people out, but they're big beers, so I don't really right, care. Right. Um, as they rise and grow, that product, that quality yeah. starts to diminish. I'm sure Absolutely. all the stuff Whitney's doing in the Pearl and Tanya does in Bend is yeah, great. Yeah. I'm talking about the big, big stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you see the smaller ones do that same kind of thing? Just to keep the cost down, right? I, I do. I do think <clears> so. And and one of the things that's driven quality in our region is is competition, right? So mm-hmm. you had to you had to become to be viable. You really had to have, stand out, really. And when quality was one of the first things to do that, yeah. But if a lot of your competitors are starting to disappear, that's not on the table anymore, so, right? So I think yeah, you'll see. You'll probably see a combination. But I also think that it means that people that are very deeply rooted. And, and can financially withstand it and the put quality as, you know, the, the, the high watermark for themselves will just get better, too, mm-hmm. you know. So I think you're going to kind of simultaneously see both, you know. So it'll be almost like its own built-in check and balance. I think so. But, the, I mean, this industry in this region has seen this before, you know. And yeah. sort of when I got into it was one of the, the third wave or whatever. And, mm-hmm. You know, we're going to see it again. It's going to just kind of ebb and flow. And, sure. I mean – there was there was a quote that was told to me the other day that there are more breweries in the U.S. than there are Burger Kings. So, it's whoa. <laughs> think about that. So whoa. So yeah, I mean whoa. It's, you just hit me real hard. Yeah, there. isn't that crazy to think yeah. about? So I mean, that sadly means there's a lot to go down. Yeah, and it's and that's not <clears throat> really fully in our region, but our region is overrun. And I think you're seeing we are massively saturated. Totally. totally. I mean, pre-pandemic. I think it was like 91 breweries in the greater Portland area. Right. You know, that includes, you know, like maybe all the way down to Tiger, but that wouldn't count. McMinnville yeah. wouldn't right. count Hood River. Uh, probably wouldn't. Maybe you're going to like as far as Washougal, sure. as far as Hillsboro, sure. Tiger, Gresham. 91 plus. That's a lot. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm mostly surprised that, you know, at the height of the pandemic during lockdown uh, is usually what I call the height of pandemic. Yep. Uh, I expected 20 to 30 breweries to close and it was only about four or five. And there were ones that already kind of had writing on the wall, like Bridgeport, stuff like that. We kind of already, already saw that happening. Uh, I was more surprised at how many people weathered the storm. And I think it's because everyone reached out to their neighbors That's and was like, and was like, if you live in Montevilla, you know, no offense to culmination exactly. or somebody else, exactly. but just buy Montevilla or Threshold beer. Totally, you know, totally. like it's in your neighborhood. It's just the, do it to survive. It's the pivot. Yeah. yeah. And it's exactly. Me and my wife drank so much ecliptic because yes, I was yeah. living in North yeah. Portland. Totally, ecliptic totally. and Stormbreakers. I was living in North Portland. Absolutely. So I guess I guess that would that's what holds on. So it it's no secret by now yeah. um, that you are transitioning out of beer. How much? Is, is this some of the biggest factor into your decision? Big part of it. Yeah. yeah you just kind of. Everything going on, how much of the passion have you lost? I wouldn't say – I think it kind of goes back to that, like, what I really want to be doing in beer is not what I'm doing in beer. Yeah. And I, I it kind of goes back to that, you know, I, I wish this, the land of the specialty brewery was still a thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not to say it doesn't exist. I, I think there are people out there. I think DeGard is a really good example. Yeah. Ale Song's doing just fine. Song's Matt's doing fantastic. great. Yeah, like, and there, there are – there are people that are doing it, but but it's not, it's not like gangbusters like it used to right. be. Those guys. So like, for me, knowing that that being a brand new brewery and knowing that you know we have to pay the bills, you know we have to pay our own bills, and and so knowing that we had to kind of focus in a little bit of a different area with the idea that those kind of more specialty mixed culture stuff would come a little bit later, and there are there are some in the works that are that are going to be released here pretty soon, but. I, that's just all I would rather be doing. If if mm-hmm. you've been doing it long enough, you get to that point where you're kind of like, no, I just want to do. Like, I want to be the special projects person, yeah. you know. And so, so I it it kind of hit me one day that I wasn't getting out of it what I've been putting in, and mm-hmm. I'm just sort of tired of pushing the boulder up the hill. Yeah. And so, I don't know. You know, I don't know that it's this mean that I'm fully out quite yet. I would love to be still connected in some way. But and that's just, why you mentioned transitioning, transitioning and not yeah. leaving. Exactly. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. And so, I mean, ultimately, like, I'm trying to, 
to get a little bit more. Photography is a big love of mine, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to, to. I follow you on Instagram. Yeah, thanks. yeah just just to see that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, and and I mean that's really more like outdoor photography mm-hmm. and uh, uh, nature photography. But that being said, I I think that those skills can translate into you know content development. And everything. Sure. So that's actually what I'm trying to oh. transition into now, and, and kind of hopefully maybe that's actually going to be the case, but. Uh, but I may have to take a brewing job in the meantime. Just pay the right, bills right, uh, right, and that's okay. And that's that's and that's that thing where it's like, I could lay off all of our employees and and be that person at our brewery, but sure. I don't want to do that. Yeah, that you know sounds what I mean? rough. It's, yeah, it's I know, and that's that's a very, I feel very fortunate in the fact that I don't have to, and I'm mm-hmm. in a position where I can, uh, just sort of step down from yeah. from uh, from that role. So, um. But yeah, so transitioning out is is uh, it's weird. It's bittersweet, you know. Mm-hmm. It's when you've been doing something twelve years. It's, it's like, yeah. you know, and, and it's funny. My last career was twelve years, so <laughs> it's <laughs> just know. cycles. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like my wife. My wife and I have been together for three and a half years, and before that, the longest relationship I had was two and a half. And right at two and a half, I was like, "Are you about to leave me?" Yeah. That's how this goes. And she was like, "No, I love you." And I was like, "Oh my god, it's different." Breaking the mold. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean about the specialty stuff. I got a buddy who runs a barrel program at a at a fairly prominent brewery, and I was asking him, you know, I said, "How, you know, how's the barrel program right now?" They do both, both like dark beers and mixed culture wild fermentation stuff, and and they're all fantastic. And I said, "How's it going?" He was like. Right now, everything tastes amazing, yep. and nobody buys it. Yep. It just sits on the shelf. Yep. So he's like, like I had to dump. He was like, I dumped six barrels the other day. Beer wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, but it wasn't great. exceptional. And if nobody's gonna buy it, then what's the point? What's the point? Make room for the exceptional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really sad. <clears throat> and, and and I mean, we've sort of done it to ourselves with like trying to make it mm-hmm. super specialty stuff. And, and that was something I had really hoped that we could do at Forland was to really take those beers down a notch, mm-hmm. even with like Saison. Mm. It's not even the like mm. the fanciest of it. No, but, no. But it became this thing. Oh, we have to put it in this bottle. We have to do all this stuff. And bottle condition, live yeast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, from a quote unquote traditional standpoint, that's all great and and very lovely. But mm-hmm. uh, if you can still put out a good beer that that it doesn't really matter. Like you can put it in your shoe and it's still, you know, right. it's, that's not, <laughs> maybe not going to sell that well. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time. So, so that's what we tried to do is say, no, put it, put it in the same glass that the IPA comes in. Like, it sure. Doesn't, it doesn't need to be in this. It's great to romanticize those kinds of things, but you're also talking about a beer that was traditionally served to farm workers. Right. Water. You know? Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, where did it get, how did it get so high up on this pedestal? Yeah, I, I'm curious because I always thought there was a, you know, and, and we'll get we'll get you out on this one. Um, I'm, I'm always curious how the specialty beers couldn't become something like wine. Yeah. You know, yeah. that there are cheaper versions, there are nicer versions. Um, I always wondered, you know, it, especially when it comes to maybe mixed fermentation, wild fermentation, or... You know, and then the other side, you're like bourbon barrel age stuff. If it's just is is one side too acidic and one side is too boozy, and that's why it's not as accessible, or is it just because it's not as high of alcohol, I, or I, a sweetness thing, totally, or what? Because totally. I would I would love my my father in law always want you know we always drink wine at his place, and he has a you know million dollar wine cellar sure, sort of sure. thing, and we're always drinking great stuff, and I always want to just be like. Oh, by the way, I have this. <laughs> I have this really nice four-year-old ale song. Yep. You know, Goza yeah. Barrel Age Goza. Yeah, let's let's crack this, and everybody's like, nobody wants that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, how on earth can we make that happen? And it feels like it's a lost cause. Yeah, and I think you know, I mean, so much of, <clears throat> of wine is is really about smoke and mirrors anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really what it is. Yeah. You're, se- you're selling a lifestyle, right? Yeah, so, I don't have. I I like to think I have a decent beer palate. I do not have a wine palate. Yeah. I know it's, when something's bad, and exactly. I know when something's pretty that's, good. That's it, though. I mean, I've been, I've had backstage access to a lot of very high-end wineries. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Try this, and I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> and, I, and I have a decent wine palate. Yeah, and I'm okay. Like, and I'm like, I don't. I'm so confused. But it's because they put all these different stamps on it that you know it needed to be this. And and this is not to say that all high-end wine is like sure. It's not the case at all. You you become. A very great winemaker and recognized winemaker by making great wine. Yeah. But there's some bad stuff in there too. And and whereas you know, then again, the, the average American palate is 
perfectly fine pouring some of it from a box. Oh, so. yeah, man. Dude, tequila's the same way, dude. Yeah. Like, working in restaurants, people are like, I'll have that Patron, and I'm like, I've got this right next to it. That's $5 cheaper a shot, and it's way better. And they're yeah. like, no, I'm good. You're yeah. Like, All right. Because they don't, they've never heard More for me. That. And that's, 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 yeah. I love tequila too, so I, it's my spirit yeah, go-to. Same, and <laughs> and I love gin too. And everybody's yes, like, "That's gross," and I'm like, same. "Okay, you don't yeah, have a palate." Exactly. Awesome, I do. Thank <laughs> I, you for the compliment. You and I are very similar. Yeah, and and the fact that like I don't always want beer, so like, no, yeah, but it, it is the case, and and that's the thing is like even like uh, you know like I don't know, I, I can't think of any. There are certain tequilas out there that you're like, this is just over oaked. Yeah, I was like, this is the best. Yeah. You know? Because it's flavor in your face. I really love Casamigos yeah, Reposado, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it is very strong vanilla. It is very strong. It is intense, and and I have enjoyed that. It, but I can also sit there and say, this is too much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Especially well, at fifty five bucks a bottle. That's the <laughs> other side of it. Sure, sure. But I mean, I guess. But if that's what you're looking for, that's right. one thing. But but and again, good and bad is all in the power. Uh, you know, all in the eye of the beholder. Yep. But, uh, but I think that there are. I think that. Specialty beer has attempted to do that. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it it beer's never going to garner the same respect that that wine has. That's true. Wine is drank by the gods. That's exactly. Yeah, it. beer is drank by the blue collar. That's exactly. Yeah. It. And I I think there's room for crossover, and that's something that I had a, hoped to be able to do, and yeah. by putting a brewery in wine country and really working with the winemakers, because I like doing a lot of those mixed culture beers with wine grapes. Because I think you know there's a there's an opportunity to create a liquid that. You know, you get to break all the winemaking rules, mm-hmm. and the the you know there are a ton of rules around mixed culture, uh, beer production. So really, kind of blending techniques and and really utilizing this amazing you know depth of fruit that you can get, and mm-hmm. and utilizing a a wealth of knowledge from all the winemakers. But at the end of the day, you know you have to have an audience for it. And right. It's like, well, I don't want to I don't want to push the boulder up another hill and right. then get to the top of that one and be like. Oh. It's easy for us as beer people to say, I really love drinking wine because I can't drink beer all the time. The wine people are like, I love beer because I can't drink wine all the time. And it's like, well, that's easy for you to say. Exactly. (laughs) It's easy for you to say. It's the truth. It's harder for us. Totally. All right. uh, uh, You want to stick around for Beer of the Week? I would love to. Okay, cool. And plus, I want to talk to you about one of a place that is near and dear to my heart. And I think you will have some fun things to talk about. Awesome. All right. Sean Burke joining us here. This is Beers on Us with Patrick Harris. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Beer of the Wake time here on Beers on Us with Patrick Harris. We are still joined here by Sean Burke, Commons, Von Ebert, Forland, as you stretch your wings to leave for potential better, greener pastures. We'll see about that. I mean, I mean that uh, former, literally, if yeah, you want to exactly. do some wildlife photography. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how long have you been doing photography stuff? Oh, gosh. Seriously? I mean, like, like thinking yeah. about it seriously, not uh, just snapping last, pictures. Last couple of years. Uh, I would say two, three years at this point. Um, I, uh... Funny story, I actually failed photography in high school. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. because of my artistic integrity, and I I don't want to take the pictures you want me to take. <laughs> I want to take yeah. what I want to take. That's not art, you know. But uh, but I need you to make this exactly. red ale. <laughs> and that's that's precisely it. So, yeah, no, it's been it's been a deep – I mean, I spend so much time out in nature. I'm a native Oregonian, and I, mm-hmm. I'm big into, you know, just a lot of outdoor activities and, and, and just being in nature and wilderness and so. It's a really fun way to kind of capture it and have memories of it, but also a different hobby. So, sure, yeah. sure. Um, I I do follow you on Instagram, and I do know I know you are you love outdoors. You're a fisherman. Yeah. Um, you love taking photography. Uh, there is not a single spot from Warm Springs to <laughs> the Columbia that I have not touched. Mm-hmm. The Deschutes River is a very very near and dear thing to my heart. Um. When I was younger, so I, I, I grew up in a rafting family. Oh, yeah. And so we always did stuff in Idaho and Montana and things like that. But then when my family moved to the west, to the 
real West Coast, the real West Coast as I call it now, um, I tried to get into more stuff locally. And so when I was younger, we always like did the mopping thing where you sure. just got drunk and sure, sure. that stuff. But me and my best friend Ryan, we do we do a ton of stuff now. We're doing multi days. My buddy Eddie as well. We do the upper stretch and the lower stretch. What is it? What is it about that river that brings you back there the most? Oh, the size of those fish. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. It's that's it's so many things. To tell you the truth, I've got this thing where I'm older, getting older, and I'm like, I'll catch a couple fish, and I'll be like, I'm gonna sit here and have a beer, and yeah. just like <laughs> watch the osprey. Or yeah, like, yeah. And, and again, that's where the photography really kind of comes mm. into play. I love the entomology. I lo- love mm-hmm. staring at the bugs, and you know, just just the fact that you have such a vibrant little stretch of place in such an arid environment. I think mm-hmm. it's one of the coolest things. And and the fact that that whole lower river too really it runs through some beautiful canyon lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, I took a friend out there they would, from the East Coast and he was like, I didn't know this existed in Oregon, you know. Oh, yeah. And we were like lower, lower and, you know, where it's real canyon mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's I don't know. That's and the fact that you can catch some really awesome fish. Certain times of the year you can have the place to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also White Horse Rapids is, yep. is White uh, Horse is great. Uh, really, really fun. I've helped to pull multiple boats out of that. Mm-hmm. that you just gotta miss that rock right at the front oh, yeah, if you yeah. can just get it, if you oh, can just do that little dog leg around it. Gosh, one there was one year where we didn't miss it and we're literally just going, oh, <laughs> just sitting out of our seats to try to but luckily we were in an aluminum boat and we just kinda of rolled off. Oh, okay. But uh Last yeah, the, time the big rubber boats—they're—they're they're not as forgiving no, sometimes. Really not. But last time we were going down there, there was literally a, one pinned up against a rock. There's so much current coming sure. up in there, so the thing was kind of tacoed. And there was a jet boat up there doing a doing a rescue on it, and we had to assist them basically because we were camping in the middle of, of Whitehorse Rapids. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's—it's just a—it's a beautiful place. And when it tells you to stop and scout, you should stop and yeah, scout. That's exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. That's what I love about it. I think that I think somebody told me that's. Where the river moves the fastest, it would Outs- outside of Sheer Falls, obviously. That would make but the sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where I'm told it moves the fastest. Even some of that stuff in Moppin, those little spots totally. like Boxcar totally. or totally. Oak Springs, things like that. Yeah, that's where they say it moves the fastest, which makes sense because if you don't, yeah, it's not difficult, yeah. but it's technical. It's if technical. you don't hit that right spot, yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Especially in low water, that's you know, it, it gets bony in there, and it's a mile long. Mm-hmm. There's the, there's that. Too. There's that. Yeah. Fox car is, isn't a mile long. No, it's like yeah. twenty seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that. <laughs> uh, are you more of an upper guy or a lower guy? What's the better fishing? Uh, Just say the opposite so they don't steal your yeah, spots. It's, uh, it's definitely on the crooked. Uh, <laughs> it's actually not. Don't don't fish the crooked right now. There's no water in it. Um, I I like all of it. I yeah. mean, to tell you the truth, I'm not I'm not like a big fish chaser. Yeah. Per se. So you kind of just choose one based on what you're feeling or wherever I'm at. You know? Yeah. And so. Generally, the goal is to try to get away from people. Mm-hmm. So wherever there are fewer people. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you are you in like a drift boat situation, or do you just sometimes. pull over sometimes? Either or. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. I don't. I currently don't have a boat, but uh, uh, did did the just selling a boat recently thing, mm-hmm. which you know they always say the second best day is when you buy it. The first best day of boat ownership is when you sell it, but. Um, but you know, bank fishing also works just mm-hmm. fine, and you can't fish from a boat on that right, river anyway. Right. So it, it's, I mean, it gets you to to maybe yeah. maybe better spots. Like yeah, yeah. You, you can't drive to Whitehorse, but uh, but I, it just kind of, I don't know, I don't, I don't have one over the other. I'm not. I, I think there's a lot of elitism in fly fishing, and I, yeah, I, I try to not be a part of that oh man there's a bunch of elitism in rafting too. yeah it's no, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's no different you tell a rafter oh yeah i've done that mop and stretch like a thousand times they're like cool loser yeah exactly. and it's like well i've done more than that like yeah. i've been in class five rapids yeah, in yeah, idaho yeah. you know yeah, totally, totally. my family's done the grand canyon yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. like what do you That's want like one, yeah. we're just there to have some fun i think for me as a rafter i think the upper is more peaceful it is um i think it's more technical it is um, I think it has the better camping spots. It does, yeah. I think the lower is prettier. It is, yeah. Especially when you get towards the mouth. That's exactly, yeah. The canyon stretches and stuff. There, I mean, that lower, below max, there's some good rapids. Mm-hmm. But, uh, boy, we are not doing a good job of talking about this. Dude. I know. I was going to yeah. transition, yeah. But, I, but, I, but, I, but I did want to talk to you about the Deschutes because I know it's a big thing for oh, you, yeah. and it's a big thing for me. I'm headed out there in a couple of weeks, I was hoping you were going to say in a couple of hours. Oh, uh, no, I wish that was the case. I think, well, we're starting to get into mushroom hunting season. Oh, that's what I, yeah, I know. I saw the rain today, and I was just thinking to myself, my buddy, uh, my buddy, I don't know if you know Todd Brudet up at uh, Cerevesa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Todd, Todd yeah. yeah. Totally. He, he, him and his wife are going camping today. Nice. 
And uh, I was like, oh, it's probably close to mushroom. Oh, but it hasn't rained. No. Then I woke up this morning. I was like, huh? So, uh-huh? yeah, that's, that's, I'm actually going out to the coast starting this weekend cool. over, over a couple of days. I'm like, the timing should be perfect. You mostly chanterelles? What are you looking this for? This time of year. This yeah. time of year, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we've got a beer in front of us. We should yeah. probably talk about this. We did one. I did one with Brian last week. I can't even remember what the beer was. Uh good. Uh, but we didn't talk about it at all. I think it was good. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but this is Holy Mountains As Within, So Without, Idaho 7 Extra Pale. Um, you know it's fresh because on the bottom it says Ding Dong McQueen is dead. <laughs> so that's a good wow. thing. It doesn't have a date, but you know it's fresh if it says that. Um, I love finding, first of all, I am a low ABV hop forward drinker till the end of time. Um, I mean, I if you put a... a my go-to styles are probably a low ABV hop forward beer, a Hellas Lager, and a Vienna. Like go. that kind of checks all my boxes. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and every once in a while, I like a milk stout because it. I don't yeah, know, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, feel like stoner eating candy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, so, but so what I love with these is when a brewery, you know, it's not saying it's single hop by any means. I think most people have learned that single hop is not always the best route to go. Sure. And consumers are starting to say, like, we don't really want single hop. But I love it when they tell you, like, I'm featuring right. this hop. Uh, what do you, What is your experience with Idaho 7 before we, like, really talk about this beer? Well, the first ever experience I had with it was a fresh hop cool ship beer. That, no, sorry, not cool ship. It was a fooder-aged beer. So uh, th- very different than most people's first experience yeah. with it. Um, I think it's, it's one of those that it really depends on where you get it from. Mm. There are some hops that are so polarizing. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you might have you you Idaho grown Idaho seven versus mm-hmm. Oregon grown, and, and uh, so I've I've had kind of bad versions of this that yeah. were pretty sulfury, pretty mm-hmm. pretty, and not this beer, sorry, sure, yeah. Um, but I I think it's one of those that plays well with others, you know, like like you said, I think on its own, it's it's a little, I don't know, it's a little harsh, mm-hmm. but I think that it, it brings in a layer, a potential layer that you could work with, like something like citra or something, like sure. That, you know? I always said my <clears throat> the hop that I have come across as a non-brewer but a consumer with, you know, a decently educated palate. I've always said that like Strata was that yeah, one. Like yeah. plays well with others. Totally, totally. And those have become my favorite hops. And for the longest time I've had a lot of beers that told me that it has Idaho seven in it. And I don't know if it was just the combination or what. That I, excuse me, personally have just not enjoyed. Yeah, yeah same. So I'm almost like chasing that Idaho like Ben Edmonds used to always tell me. There's no hop you don't like. Yeah, yeah. It's a hop combination you're not into. That's exactly. And and I try to live with that every day because I was sitting with him and Tyler Brown. And I was like, Tyler, what's your least favorite hop? And he was like, Sabro. Blah, 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 <laughs> I hate Sabro, which is funny because Tyler's like the nicest guy in the yeah, world. So yeah, to see yeah, him get totally. worked up is pretty funny. Uh, and, you know, and then Ben would just chime in and say, you know, yeah, like Sabro is very strong, pungent. You just have to know how to use it. And here he's using a lot of talus and stuff, sure. which I dislike for the same reasons as Sabro. You and me both. But he always said, you know, don't never hate the hop, hate the combination. Yep, yep. And that's a really good way of, of looking at it. I mean, there are certain things, you know, you don't, if you think of it like spicing the soup, you know, mm-hmm. there, there are certain things that just don't work. You know? Yeah. A bunch of uh, cardamom in your yeah. soup might not, might not be very be good. as good as chili powder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Depending, you know, depending on what it is. So, and it's, a lot of it is choice. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with source. Uh, um, yeah, I found this hop can tend to be pretty catty at times okay. or, or, like, vegetal. Okay. Um, the use of that it is, that they used it in this is not that. Which, so yeah. I'd, I'm curious what, you know, what if it is only Idaho 7, good work. Uh, I know. Why don't they? I always want them to tell me more. Yeah. They never yeah, want exactly. to tell me more. Yeah, yeah. Don't they know that it's I can— Subterfuge. You know, don't, don't they know that you can hand me the recipe yeah. to the greatest <laughs> beer ever made and I'm still not going to make it as good as you do? Totally, totally. You know? Um, when you, I'm, I'm curious since I've got you, the last time I saw you, we were, we were judging at OBA. I think that's the last time I saw mm-hmm. you when you, when you have a beer in this, like don't let's, let's take judging out of it. But in this situation where I'm like, Hey, taste this beer. What, what are the parts of the beer beginning, middle end aroma finish? What are the, th- what are the spots of beer that really talk to you? Like I'm, I, I, I'm a finish guy. Yep. The, the, like where the, how the body feels in the mid palate and how it finishes are my two big things. Yeah. How, what, what are yours? I, I'm actually probably pretty similar. I mean, I always start with the with the nose test. You sure, know, but but I also love that transition from smelling to the first taste. But where I really truly get the the kind of 
character of the beer is like that mid palate down to the swallow. Mm-hmm. And that was something they taught us in brewing school was that, you know, in wine world, you know, they spit the wine, but your bitter receptors for your tongue are actually on the back of your tongue. I know. So you have to swallow. I've been at but places that are like, oh, yeah, you can spit the beer out after you taste it. And I'm like, that, I'm yeah, not totally, tasting totally. it then. It's like, and it's like, you know, I'm not always like, oh, I'm trying to get drunk. But right. I, you know, there is a, the, the full process, the whole sensory experience really sure. is looking, you know, from from the beginning, from really bringing the aroma in all the way to the end is following. So I, I tend to be a lot unfinished. So I'm very sensitive to like, oh, the beer is very bitter or, mm-hmm. or you know, very dry or dry. too dry. Yeah, exactly. So not that this one is just. Yeah, beer. I don't know if I've ever. I mean, I'm sure I have, but it is hard for me to find a beer that's too dry. Yeah. Because I love dry beer. Uh, you, you and me both. Yeah. Uh, actually, cloying beers get to me after a while. Oh. With the exception of, you know, if you're drinking an Imperial Stout, a Milk Stout, something like sure. that. Sure. But something that's like multi-cloying. Yeah. I, I can't do box that for that reason. Mm. That, that, that There are good ones out there, but the vast majority of them are just. Yeah, dude, I did a Doppelbock table and we were all looking around like. Oh, that's what? a rough one. Yeah, like, I don't hate this one. Yeah. Let's move it on. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this beer's 5.5%, and although I don't get a ton of alcohol character off of it, boy, the the, the hop character is extremely expressive yes. for a pale. I mean, they call it an extra pale, which mm-hmm. usually tells you it's going to be hoppy and bitter. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, is, is, is that, how challenging is it to keep that body low or keep keep that, like, full body expression but the ABV low while still having that pronounced hop? Is it is it tricky or is it something you, once you find that sweet spot, you're in? Yeah, I think it actually is tricky because I think for a lot of brewers, you know, if you're making just regular West Coast or, you know, kind of American IPA, alcohol has has a sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know. It, that's you why start, I can't do double IPAs. That's exactly, they're really hard on me. Totally, totally. And so, it, but even sitting at 7%, you know, 6, mm-hmm. 9 or something like that, that's that's going to have a presence that no malt, that, that malt won't provide you know that you're getting purely from the alcohol so if you start to get into that 5.5 even lower six you need something to sort of back that up or or make up the difference right otherwise you're just going to have kind of a thin lackluster body to the beer sure and and that's not going to support that high heavy hop aroma and and flavor so you need something that that kind of finishes that off without being cloyingly sweet right right and and again some of that's malt some of that is just literally residual sugar just what you're leaving behind you where it's going to finish at the end of the day it's all just sugar water it really is yeah yeah totally <laughs> how do you how much sugar do you want to leave <laughs> totally in it? totally yeah. and i mean if it's if it's play-doh that that directly translates to percentage of sugar so yep. it's that's probably two and a half percent sugar <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well thank you my friend very much for yeah. sticking around this is this is huge this this podcast is in a real state of transition and yeah. so i'm doing my best to uh, hold on to it and provide good content and thank you so much for being in today well thanks for having me it's been a lot of fun and uh yeah i appreciate it yeah, good luck in the future um uh, those of us in the beer world are probably hoping you have to get a beer job to uh, pay the bills just so you stick around <laughs> sure, a little bit sure, yeah. <laughs> uh but we wish you the best and maybe i'll see you on the river awesome cheers man all right when, when we will be back next week uh, i've got something in the making that i'm just waiting on a text message back so i don't want to say it yet in case it doesn't fall in case it falls through so hopefully that comes up next week and then in two weeks we'll have charlie Devereaux on from Via. I think I'm going to be going down to Via to have that conversation with him. I think he's got two new beers to uh, release, so we'll hype those up. So thank you. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. It keeps the podcast going. And uh, we'll be back next week. This is Beers on Us with Patrick Pierce.